Hello, pediatric commuters. Welcome back to episode 5. Thank you for helping us reach 800 listeners. Our guest today is Dr. Damien Rowland, a consultant in pediatric emergency medicine in Leicester. He has considerable experience in the development of educational resources and their evaluation, and has a strong interest in social media as a means of knowledge translation. Today, we will discuss about ways of keeping up to date with research in pediatrics. I have to mention that this podcast expresses the views of the host and guests, and that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. The podcast is not sponsored by any drug or device companies. Have a safe commute! Hello and welcome to this episode of the Pediatric Commuter. Today we are joined by Dr. Damien Rowland. It has been a lovely drive from Birmingham to Leicester, but we are here now and we are going to discuss about how do we keep updated. Hello and thank you for accepting to participate in this podcast. No worries, uh, thank you very much for inviting me to talk. Let's start with the first question. Are the medical journals that we receive in the post still useful at all? Uh, that, that's, that's a great question because it's slightly loaded uh, and there's two parts to it. So are medical journals useful? Uh, 100% yes. Uh, I'm, I'm not an advocate of saying that we're going to get rid of a, a time-honoured tradition of circulating academic material. I suppose it's the receiving the post uh, part that is, is the most uh, challenging about that. So we have a, an academic setup whereby people produce some research and they submit that to someone for peer review and then an editor will decide on the basis of that peer review whether that knowledge is worth sharing and there's a whole debate we can have about whether that process is still fit for purpose in the 21st century but the process of being able to collate a research or study endeavour in one place it's probably a good thing and the fact that there are journals of different specialties and have different remits and roles I think is a good thing. The real challenge is how we take that information and we use it ourselves and I think in the 21st century when you hear that thud on the ground in your letterbox of either the archives of disease of childhood or emergency medicine journal or whatever kind of a, a pediatric uh, professional would, would would look at that there might well be a bit of heart sink because you realize that you've got more reading to do and you just don't, don't have enough time to do it some people are overjoyed because they actually quite look like flicking through a whole journal going through each of the articles I personally just don't have time to do that anymore um, and th there's just no way that I can cope with reading a journal cover to cover and I need a way of being able to strip down and look at the articles which will likely be of most interest to me. That's not necessarily the most the best articles so it's not just saying I will only read literature which is the best quality I just need to be aware of the, the, the literature whether it's kind of good or bad which is most relevant to me. A medical journal through the post is not the way I'm going to be able uh, to do that uh, in this in this day and age. I guess we all had that feeling of guilt when we see the archives or the BMJ piling on our coffee table or wherever we stack them and then we always think oh all right from next week I'll start from scratch or from next month I'll start from scratch and when the new set of archives arrives I will read it straight away but that never happens really because we are that weekend we are on call and so on. Is there a better way to access this information? Yes but it is very person specific and that what I'm at pains to to not do is 
put my preferences for the way that I deal with literature and how I go through the process of knowledge translation onto everyone else because I don't think that works. One of the the best things about the growing trend of using social media, whether that's a concept, i.e. the networks that social media generates or the individual platforms, is it allows you to choose the way that you access information. Now let's take archives of disease and childhood, for instance. The, the main uh, journal itself, I struggle a bit with because, and it's, it's brilliant from an editorial perspective because they have a range of literature in there, but not all of it can be possibly relevant to me. And although I'd love to read about some neonatal work or some community paediatric work, it's not, I don't have the time to read everything. Take a journal like Education and Practice though, for example. What's interesting about that journal is I do have massive guilt about not reading for that to cover because there are some real gems and nuggets which do translate into my own practice. So let's take two different uh, approaches for that. For the Archives and Disease of Childhood type material, I use my uh, network that I've uh, established over probably quite a few years now of four or five of following a select group of other pediatricians who are very good at sharing information from that journal and others which might be of interest to me and I do the same for other people that I'm a network of and that methodology allows me to scope out uh, on a, a monthly basis what is new literature which will be of relevance to me. That's not so good for the education and practice type stuff because actually all of that information uh, is, uh, is rich in a way, especially their 15-minute kind of summary um, information. And for that, I think it's better to use a, a blog aggregator. So what you can do is that you can get emails reviewed uh, every month that come into your inbox and you can have a, a quick check through and that saves kind of flicking through the journal because I think it's much easier to see just on an email screen what articles are, are of interest and if you're really clever you can kind of filter down to stuff that is personalized to you and there are things like Feedly uh, which I would recommend as a way of being able to go out to websites and use that to control the information that's coming into your inbox. In the first three years of training in pediatrics we are overwhelmed by so many things. First of all we have to learn all the clinical skills, then we have to sit and revise for our exams. Shall we just set a, a schedule, I don't know, Saturday from 9 till 10 to do this or a weekly two-hour program where this is all we should do or how should trainees approach this matter because it's quite important for us to keep up to date. Yep and, and, and again I think there's a, a, a wide variety of ways of doing that so I, I do it in a couple of ways so one is that I have a review of my Twitter feed tend to do that and you'll see by when I do posts is that there's a, a morning review on the train into work um, I do it at around lunchtime-ish, um, and then there'll be a quick review on the way back from work in the evening. Then I also have Thursday evenings as a time where I spend a bit of time doing social media catch-up. Um, I, I, 
I'll be honest about that. I tend to do that because my wife goes tap dancing on a Thursday evening. So that's a bit of time unadulterated at home with, with the kids in bed. So I have a kind of a three snapshots of, of my Twitter feed. And then there's a bit more of a global review on a Thursday evening of stuff that's come into my uh, inbox. Can you possibly read all the new articles that are out there? I think that's very difficult to do. And one of the ways that can help you do that is follow other people who review that literature for you. So a good example of that is kind of don't forget the bubbles. They are very good at picking up the most important publications within a a, a given month. Uh, They do that both with a whole critical review of an article or through the bubble wrap which is where a team of us between don't forget the bubbles and peruki will take five articles and do a kind of a short critical appraisal um, of them and i can i do a quick plug if you're a trainee you're interested in starting to learn how to do critical appraisal please do get involved in that we'll you pick a journal you'll do a review i'll help you go through what the, the good and bad points of your review were and then we can get that published on the don't forget the bubbles website uh, and that, that's good for your cv and good for other people and good for for knowledge translation uh, generally and then there are whole other websites st emlins often do pediatric reviews a chap called casey parker a website called broom docs he does excellent critical appraisal and then uh, the skeptics guide to emergency medicine ken mill often has paediatric topics and these are ways of just going through those websites and filtering what's new out there and reviewing it the problem is is that are a bit centered towards paediatric emergency medicine and acute paediatrics if you want to be a community paediatrician i don't think that there is that resources or the network out there yet to be able to do that robustly without feeling that you've missed something um, neonatology has two hashtags now, Foam Neo and Neo EBM, and I think they're really garnishing quite a lot of, of, of power in terms of the, the network that they've got. Um, but I, I've mentioned network quite a lot, and that's really important to this. You need a community of practice of lots of people doing this simultaneously to make sure that you're not biased by the literature coming through. There's a real danger that if you only followed one or two people, you'd only see the literature they were interested in, and then that would be actually quite dangerous. That would that would have a negative effect on the way that you were kind of appraising appraising things. A lot of trainees told me, oh, I'm not in this Twitter thing or I don't know how to approach this subject. And I had this, I only started using Twitter really when I started thinking about the pediatric commuter. My question is, how do we start on Twitter in the medical field? What is the first thing that we should do? Well, the first thing is to create an account, but afterwards, shall we follow some someone or shall we go on hashtags because i guess after that twitter is very very helpful in sort of telling us well who else we should follow so that the first thing to say is you don't need to be on twitter and anyone says that you in order to be successful on social media you need to be on twitter i i think that's wrong and i think it's creating a bit of division there's this kind of Twitter haves and Twitter have nots, and that's not a a helpful paradigm at all. I find Twitter exceptionally useful because it helps the way I work, but not everyone will do that. The first thing you can do is you don't need to even have a Twitter account. Just put in uh, hashtag foam PD, foam ped, into a search engine. 
And what that will do is it will pull up the Twitter feed of everything with a hashtag foamped to it. And you can look at what people are putting there. So for those who don't know, so foam is free open access medical education and ped means that that's to do with pediatric emergency medicine practice. And it's a hashtag that people will use on Twitter to identify materials relevant to that community, which is basically pediatric emergency medicine clinicians or those interested in the field sharing information which is free and openly accessible in relation to pediatric emergency medicine. And you can just go through that feed and find what's interested to you. You don't even need to have a, a Twitter account to do that. If you are interested in engaging a little more in Twitter, then you do need your own account. Um, and the best thing to do there is what's interesting is when, as you build your Twitter account profile, you should put into that a few people who are already established in the field because Twitter will then suggest people like them and you can build up a small micro network. So there are people like myself, there are people from the Don't Forget the Bubbles team, there are people from the Archives of Disease of Childhood team who are all, all worth following to begin with because you'll get a sense of the conversations that are going onwards and then you can make up your own mind. There is a bit of a challenge with time. It is not easy to create the network to begin with and a lot of people are put off because you're already really busy and then you introduce something else into your life which takes up a bit of time. And there's a, there's a bit of a dissonance there because you have to put in a bit of time to begin with to get the time back. So I've been on Twitter for probably five or six years now and it works really well for me because I've established that network and people give me information. Oh look, Damien might be interested in this, but that takes a couple of years to get to and I get is quite difficult to begin with. So there's a lot of discussion at the moment on Twitter if social media is actually helping us or not because a lot of senior consultants or senior trainees complain that juniors challenge them on things that they read on Twitter without actually having the clinical experience or the practical experience. Are we entitled to challenge a consultant on stuff that we read on social media without doing any further research or without even doing the procedure before? So good question. I will, I'll hold up. Uh, so I'm biased in this regard because I, I have a very clear view on this. Others have different views. So I can only give my perception of what I've experienced. This has always been a problem. Even before we took away, let's take away social media. We go to the 1980s. Okay, Where did people learn that information from? You either got it from the people that you were working with or you got it through hearsay or you may have gone to a conference and heard some information. From time immemorial people have heard a practice which validates their own beliefs and, and either gone on with it which may have been unsafe or challenged others that their practice was wrong. What social media has done is really brought this out in the open and enables this to happen at a scale that, that is relatively unprecedented. But the concept of people challenging others without the evidence base to do so is not new. Uh, and I, I, that's the, the opinion I hold about that. It is also the case that there seems to be this willingness for people to blame social media rather than look at the way that we're training people and that the way people enact their own behaviours. Um, and their own ability to critically appraise stuff. So apparently it's Twitter's fault when a trainee either raises something or does something off spec. 
and it's not that individual's fault for actually not processing the, the literature correctly. And maybe people like myself have a responsibility there because we should be empowering organisations and individuals to really look at the way that evidence-based medicine works, the way that critical appraisal works, and challenge people to say every information comes with a, a health warning. Um, whether you've read it on Twitter or whether you've read it in the journal, look at the amount of retractions that the Nature Journal has every year. They have to pull stuff back because it's found out to be, even though it's gone through a massive peer review process, either fraudulent or just wrong. It's just that social me uh, media is magnifying uh, th this whole process. Uh, so I don't buy the fact that it, it's social media's fault. I do have sympathy with the fact that people can get carried away and feel that they're part of a group which knows everything before they are. And it, it, even on, and I'm guilty of this myself, new paper comes out, there's lots of discussion about it, you think you've solved the world, and then a year goes down the line and something else comes back. But that, that's the nature of academia and, and research and the way that knowledge translation works. And what I think needs to happen is that we need to get better at training people, especially at medical school, about not only critical appraisal, i.e. what is a p-value, how do things work, but also about how knowledge translation works. What are the biases behind that source of information? How can you appraise a website to know that someone has done ha, has a quality assurance process? Because when I look at a website or I follow someone on Twitter, I have some unconscious guidelines that I use in my head to determine actually that person I know has done a good job or that person hasn't. But I get the fact that if you're new to this way of evaluating evidence, that might not be so obvious. But the other thing is, role you need to role model well. If you are a, a, a practice which actually is outside normal spheres, and people get bored of me for using this example, but there is clear evidence, both in Cochrane Review and multiple studies, that we shouldn't use a plaster of Paris for a buckle uh, fracture. Okay? That is clear. <laughs> that there should be no doubt, there should be no department in the UK that continues to use plaster of Paris for buckle fractures, but there are still institutions where that occurs. Quite why, many. <laughs> yeah, why do we tolerate that? And yes, I'd, I'd give a, a trainee a right for standing up and saying that that is, it's wrong. We, we need to challenge some of these evidence-based practices. And so, yes, there will have been occasions where someone has overstepped the mark. But in my opinion, there are far more occasions where departments and institutions aren't following evidence-based practice and are just sweeping, up the, uh, sweeping that under the carpet. We discussed about journals. We discussed about social media. Are conferences still useful? Or are these simple tools for excellent networking? Because we all agree it's really great to build a network in your sort of area or niche. But it can be a financial burden for trainees. We have so many things to pay for in, in our first few years of, of training in the specialty. Is it useful to go to conferences? Yes. And I agree that the, the networking opportunities are, are, are very important. I think, un unfortunately, especially uh, as a, a trainee or, or, or resident moving through the system, trying to uh, network with enough people so that when you get to the stage of applying for jobs, you have a healthy experience of the, the healthcare landscape. I think that's 
that that's important because it's very easy just to get stuck on one institutional organization and not see the bigger picture you need to go to conferences and other activities where you see how there are different practices and you can interact with people who have different approaches i think that's absolutely vital conferences themselves if they are badly organized and that the organizers don't pay enough attention to detail in terms of the quality of the speakers or the content can be very poor value for money and uh, I, I'm quite happy to say that I know at times some of our major conferences either organized by the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health uh, and ARCHEM I think sometimes have fallen short of providing adequate educational uh, material that people have been invited they just do a talk and actually either people know the content already or it's delivered in a very poor manner um, and, and sometimes you can pay a lot of money to receive no net benefit but the advantage of being there is the networking uh, opportunity social media has been quite useful because it's created this paradigm now where the conference material is shared um, and I think it does challenge presenters to up their game in terms of providing content that, it, that is uh, applicable, coherent uh, and well presented. There are dangers with information being shared which lacks the contents of actually being in the, the auditorium itself. Um, and sometimes people start using sound bites because they know they're easy to share on, on Twitter or other social medium. And that, that can be a little bit dangerous. Um, but I think it, it's difficult for, for trainees now. I think conferences are, are vital to go to, but they're not always good value for money. I would argue, and again, I'm biased because I, I'm involved, that the, don't forget the Bubbles group have, have tried to create a conference environment which is, pays particular attention to detail to not only who they're choosing to speak, but what those speakers are saying, but also how those speakers interrelate with each other in terms of the, the content that they have. But that, that requires a lot of work, and that team work really hard at bringing things like that uh, together. But I, it, I, it's a challenge, I suppose, to the rest of the academic scientific community to raise their game a bit in terms of the quality of, of education and information that's provided. I think it's worth men mentioning that for the first time, don't forget the Bubbles conference in 2019 will be in London. London. So if you're listening from London or from anywhere else in Europe, book your tickets online. Right, I, I think these are the main questions that I had. Just to summarize, we all, I always like these sort of take home messages. Journals, they're amazing quality, most of them, but we need to sort of make the time to actually read them and yes it's about making the time to find a process that works for you not not all journals are <laughs> amazing and even within journals there are some articles which are of, of brilliant quality and, and some aren't but there is so much information coming through now it, it's difficult to perk to get stuff to percolate to the top and one of the ways of doing that is creating a community of practice with other individuals who can help you identify the most important literature and following a number of sources of information. I think it's impossible to take all relevant journals in your sphere and just read them cover to cover uh, because you, it will just take up too much time. And if you have little time, try to follow or read the people that you know are writing about the things that you're interested in rather than reading about anything and everything. 
True, and as Ken Milne would say on the Skeptic's Guide to Immersion, be sceptical. I think that's the key thing. Have an understanding that not everything you hear is going to be correct. Um, and the best thing to do is if you read something via a blog site or via Twitter or another mechanism that interests you, don't leave it there. If it's got your interest, then you can go to the primary literature and make a decision for yourself. That's the, the, that's the important thing. Thank you. I think that's, that's it. There's a lot of useful information. If you feel the need to listen to this podcast again, please do. because And maybe take notes. Write down all these names, all these hashtags that we, we talked about. Um, and yeah, good luck with keeping up to date. Thank you, Dr. Rowland. That's okay. And I, I'm happy to provide a list of relevant websites and people to follow. And maybe we can attach that to the end of the, Lovely. the blog Lovely. I will post. link them down below. Have a safe commute. Bye-bye. Thank you for staying with us until the end. The links to all the mentioned resources are in the podcast description. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know if you have any ideas of themes that could be discussed in the next episodes. If you prefer to listen to us in an app, you can search for Pediatric Commuter in the podcast app on iPhones or Podbean or Google Podcasts for Android-operated phones. Hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate us. Have a nice day!